to the South of the Six podcast, bringing you the latest on your favorite Toronto sports teams from south of the Canadian border. Here's your host, Adam Corsair. So we can literally consider this season a success because the Blue Jays avoided 100 losses. So I guess that's cool. Welcome to the South of the Six podcast. We are part of the Stadium Scene.tv network, part of the Overtime Media crew, and we are coming to you live from the Vivid Seats studios. So yeah, the Blue Jays aren't going to have 100 losses, even though I predicted that a couple weeks back. But uh, I mean, what are you going to do? It doesn't really matter at this point anyway. Joining me tonight to discuss all things Toronto Blue Jays is Ryan Grossman of LaceSports.ca and oftentimes a contributor of TopsOfTheSix.com. Ryan, man, it's good to have you on the show. What's up? Uh, not much. Thanks for thanks for having me. It's, I guess, what, what did you say? Long time listener, first time, <laughs> not really caller, I guess. Talker? First time talker. Let's go I mean, uh, you are calling via <laughs> Skype, so I guess we can say that. First right? time Skyper. First okay. time Skyper. Yeah, that makes that that works for me. Um, yeah, Blue Jays avoided a hundred losses. I mean, I don't know if you consider that to be a success. I don't know if, like, given the enormity of all the bad shit that went down this past season, couple that with some of the good stuff that went down, avoiding a hundred losses and not being the Baltimore Orioles about that. Is uh, I guess that's a good thing. What say ye? It's a good thing. You say you couldn't have said it better. Not being the Baltimore Orioles, having a future, you know, that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, for for me, um, hundred losses, I don't really care. We could have one hundred ten losses. Could have ninety nine. I I swear to you, I'm not even joking. I haven't looked at their record once this entire season. You could. <laughs> I don't even know what their record is now. I'm serious. Like for me, I knew this coming to the season. It was it wasn't going to matter if they lost hundred games. Yeah. And now that they now that they haven't, you know, it's okay. Yeah, I I gotta be honest. I didn't really check the standings because it didn't matter. I don't know if that was sort of ingratiated in me because of what the front office or rather Ross Atkins kept you know preaching in the beginning of the season, saying wins and losses don't matter. It's all about development. Well, I guess that really. Uh, took its toll with me because I too didn't um, check the standings and as you said as well. But I do think that avoiding 100 losses is a positive thing, right? I I want to say that having a leg up, quote-unquote, over teams like the Orioles or the Tigers is a good thing. Um, But I don't know if this is necessarily a step in the right direction because as bad as last year's team was, uh, this year's team, at least on paper, according to wins and losses, wasn't nearly as successful, I guess you could say. I like the term on paper. Like, <laughs> who, who uses paper anymore? That's true. Um, <laughs> digitally on 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 screen. It's uh, on Google. No, Docs. I think. Yeah, exactly. I think they've made great progress. Like, because they're actually building towards something. Like you mentioned last season, 2017. Like, what were they building towards? It was just kind of like more of the same, or treading water, if you will. Now you can see there's there's a plan in place. They're building towards something an actual like sustainable, you know, perennial winning team, as opposed to kind of a, a flash in the pan, which I guess was kind of 2015, 2016. Uh, that wasn't sustainable. And they've, you know, Roz Atkins and Shapiro has said as much coming in. But uh, so, yeah, they have they have this core, at least. I mean, there's still still a lot to do, but uh, I think I'm I'm still encouraged you know, by what happened this season. Speaking of a lot to do, there are a handful of games remaining uh, in Toronto to close out the season, and uh, we can hook you up to go see them. Look, if if you're listening to this on any device, uh, on an Apple device, on a Android device, stop what you're doing, hit pause, or you can even keep playing the podcast. It doesn't really matter. It won't interrupt. Go to your app store, download the Vivid Seats app. And type in promo code OVERTIME. First-time customers will get $100 off their first ticket purchase. And you can go see the Jays relatively cheap. Cheaper than they probably are advertising the tickets on the Vivid Seats app. Just go to the Vivid Seats app. Type in promo code OVERTIME. That's all one word. O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E. You'll get $100, up to $100 off your first ticket purchase. And I'd be remiss if we did not mention our other sponsors, MyBookie.ag. 
I don't know if you're into gambling. I don't know if you're into football, guys. But if you are, MyBookie is the place to go. If you head on over there and you're using it for the first time, first-time customers will get their deposits doubled by using the same promo code OVERTIME. That's O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E. If you're into sports betting, if you're into NFL betting, head on over to MyBookie.ag, promo code OVERTIME. They will double your deposit. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, I digress a little bit, but let's go back. Look, 100 losses, they avoided it. That's great. And you touched on it, dude. Yep. This is not like a flash in the pan kind of thing. They're sort of building towards something. We can feel the groundswell. We can feel the momentum towards something special, I feel, with this team. I do feel like the progress of that is going to take a little bit longer. But having said that, even though they avoided 100 losses, right, and even though the season on paper, on digital, on Google Docs, on the website <laughs> isn't nearly as successful yeah. as last year's in terms of wins and losses, how yeah. do you define the 2019 season for the Blue Jays? Do you f- define it as successful in their attempts to sort of tear down and rebuild, or do you think we haven't really seen the finished product yet because still a little bit more to analyze this, we can't make an evaluation as we are standing with this team right now? Yeah, I think 2000, unfortunately, you know, your fans and well, Blue Jays fans probably aren't going to hear this, but uh, I think... 2020 is going to be much like this year in terms of getting the players up, kind of seeing what they can do, kind of sorting out the men from the boys for lack of a better phrasing, mm-hmm. kind of figure out what they have uh, both in the minors and at the major league level, kind of, kind of answer questions. Who do, who can we keep, you know, who's going to be part of this thing going forward? Who can be traded for uh, better players, more help? Uh, who is going to be kept kind of as uh, you know, as backup in case, you know, always a deal with injuries, so depth. Um, so I see that happening into 2020. So I don't see them kind of making any moves this offseason to uh, make 2020 any, any better. I think they're just going to uh, run it back, get the core, you know, Vladdy, uh, Bichette, Gurriel, all these guys, more playing time, call up the Pearsons and the Murphys, get them up here. Uh, also get them some reps, some playing time, and then kind of see see what they got after after next season. Do you think that this right now the diamond in the rough in the in the Blue Jay system is Pearson? I think right now yeah. he is the highest rated prospect according to Baseball America when it comes to the Blue Jays. Um, do you th- anticipate or think that we're going to go through this bullshit of service time when it comes to Pearson, or do you think like? Right now, the front office, like it, I seem to think that if there was going to be another player they were going to do this for or two, uh, besides Vladdy, it was going to be Bo Bichette. They ended up not doing mm-hmm. it, so I don't, I don't, I don't anticipate this, but you know, I don't know how near and dear they hold Nate Pearson to their heart, they being the front office. So, do you think we're going to have to deal with this type of bullshit moving forward, or do you think now that's it was just a strictly Vlad uh, type of scenario? What do you think? Unless he like. Somehow, I mean, he just he just got called up to AAA, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, AAA is over, obviously, but right. he had what maybe two, three starts at the yeah. most. Um, so next year, I don't know. He would have to somehow blow them away in spring training, and you know, you can't really tell from spring training always because who you're you're competing against. But the, but I, I see them. I see him not coming up till like late June, July. Get him get him some more more reps, more starts. Triple A, make sure he's ready because like Vladdy, they wanted him. I mean, yeah, service time is part of it. Service time was part of Vladdy too, but I think it was also, let's make sure this guy is ready. Uh, and for Vlad, it was, it was defense because at the, you know, there's nowhere, there's nowhere to hide at the, uh, the big leagues. So you go out, you want to make sure he's ready. I think they're going to do the same thing with Pearson. They're going to wait until he's, he's kind of gotten his feet wet triple A and then, and then call him up. So I think it's part, it'll partly be this, I mean, I guess bullshit as you refer to. Um, I don't like that rule either of, you know, service time thing. But I, I think in this case, it's going to be, I don't know, 70% making sure he's good and ready. 30%, that that's good math, right? 30, yeah, 70, yeah. <laughs> 30, yeah, making, just making sure. Yeah, so 30% uh, service time. I think yeah. That's kind of a, the way they'll do it. 
I agree. I, I don't anticipate that if they are going to keep him down, I don't think it's going to get that extra year. Um, I, I know it was frustrating when it came to Vladimir Guerrero Jr., but when you had that type of top-tier prospect in your system, you kind of want to hold on to him for as long as possible. It's not to say that Nate Pearson isn't a top-tier uh, prospect in your system. It's more that I don't think he's even close to ready for the big leagues. And I know that mm-hmm. might come as a shock to some people listening to this because they see the stuff, they see the the AAA videos, or even, I guess, for the large portion of it, the AA videos of the movement and his fastball, and it's just like, oh, this guy is going to kill it in the majors. And that might be true, but there's this huge jump in terms of talent from AAA to, to, to the bigs. And if you get exposed to that too quickly, it can really fuck with your uh, confidence. Um, exactly. The anomalies here are probably like a Roy Halladay who was able to figure it out and go back down and become this, this outstanding pitcher for the Blue Jays. But those are very few and far between. So I think the Blue Jays are going to play, pay this, sorry, play this patiently. And uh, wait as long as possible. Yeah. It honestly wouldn't surprise me if we didn't see him until next September. Like, whoa, you're that far ahead? Mm-hmm. No, I, I mean, it's a possibility. I guess it depends how, how much he improves. Um, I think it's going to be like a middle of the year thing. But, but like you said, yeah, you want to make sure you don't want to, you can't screw this up, basically. If you, he's your top guy, you have to make sure he's ready. You can't be like, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't want to bring up Drayback, you know, that. <laughs> He brought him up. He was up and down, up and down, up and down, never got it together, and then he just disappeared. And that's exactly what you do not want. Right. So he has to be ready once he gets up here. It's um, The reason why I say September, we can sort of jump into the next topic, is because, you know, 2020, there's, I feel like there's a, 50-50 50-50 division within the fan base, right? There, 50% of the fan base anticipates the the front office to really make a push, or maybe not a push, but be slightly more aggressive than what we've seen them or how we've seen them be in the past throughout, throughout their tenure thus far um, because the, the payroll is sort of wide open. Um, there are glaring holes that they need to fill. What better way to do that than to spend money and start wheeling and dealing? However, there's uh, the other side of the coin. The other 50% are probably anticipating another down year. And I think you alluded to this at the jump of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I'm in that camp as well. I don't necessarily see them pushing all in or even close to all in. I don't say that because I don't think they should. I'm saying that because I have no evidence to really back that claim up if I were to make it. Um, this isn't a, a, a front office that's really eager to spend boatloads of money and really open up the purse strings and just let money start flying out and signing free agents. I don't think that's their MO. I could be wrong about that. We'll have to see maybe until 2021. But I guess this is a conversation of what do you think they should do and what do you think they will do? And if they're the same, that's even better. So what is your take on their approach to 2020? Um, there's. I'm going to bring up a word that um, I think Jays fans aren't going to like. Uh, Starts with a P. It's called patience. <laughs> I know it's. I know it's hard. I mean, if if I can do it, I've been a fan since I was I was born, basically, and that that was about uh, thirty eight years ago. So, uh, and I, I I sat through the, you know, I, I experienced the two thousand. Sorry, the back to back World Series in in uh, in, in nineteen ninety three and ninety two. I waited twenty two years before they made it again to the playoffs. So, you know, if I can be patient, I think everyone can. But this is. They're trying to, like I said before, they're trying to build, uh, they have a plan. They're trying to build a sustainable playoff team that can win every year, not just one year. They don't want to throw everything they have, all their money, all their all their prospects, just so they can make one playoff push or one playoff uh, run. They want to. They want this to be like the Astros. They want this to be year in, year out, back in the playoffs, winning, hopefully getting to World Series. So, yeah, next year is going to be, Another evaluation year, I think, and they're not gonna they're gonna keep their payroll flexibility open. Uh, you, I want I've heard I've heard this argument many times before that their mo isn't to spend money or to like they they like to hold on to their their coveted prospects. They want they want to they hold it like you know Gollum holds his ring, <laughs> I guess. But uh, I mean, I don't think we can say that. Like they haven't been in a position yet where they are ready to spend either capital or like prospect capital. They've said many times before, once they get to the point where, yeah, it's winning time, now we're going to spend the money and then 
spend the uh, prospect capital to get veteran pitchers and, and hitters into this place to fill in the holes. So I think that's still coming. I believe them when they say that they'll do it when the time comes. Um, and I know we, we discussed, I guess, kind of offline about uh, kind of this the blueprint uh, that they have going forward. Right. Which, uh, if you want, I can kind of spell out now. Yeah, go ahead. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not – I mean, it shouldn't be news to anyone who's kind of been watching – baseball for the last four or five years in terms of what, what the Astros did and what the Cubs did was, you know, first they, they stocked the farm with as many prospects as possible. So the Blue Jays have done that. Uh, second, they develop these guys, they bring them up, have them play at the major league level. So that's where we are right now. And then next step is uh, assess kind of what, what you have, like I said before, figure out who's going to be part of this team going forward, who can be traded, uh, who's depth, um, who's not part of the plans at all. So that's now, we're, we're doing that now and into next season. And then four, the final step, once they're ready to compete for a playoff spot, start spending the prospect capital and the actual capital on established hitters front, uh, and like front of the rotation guys. And that's what the Cubs and Astros did, they, especially for pitching. You know, people are screaming, we need start, we need a number one guy, we need a number two guy. But the Astros and, and Cubs, they didn't do it until the very end. That was the last piece that they added. Like, you know, Verlander and uh, for um, Cubs, it was, um, what's the name they got from, from Boston? Lester. Lester, exactly. They had, they had a bunch of veterans who they, they got to, because they, their philosophy was kind of, you know, let's skip over all the all the Tommy Johns and all the development of the players. Like, you know, Pearson is great, and hopefully he's going to do well. But he throws 102. Mm-hmm. There's 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 likely a Tommy John in this guy's future, and you know <laughs> that's going to push the you know the rebuild back you know a couple of years if he if he has to go under the knife. So really, it's you know when the time comes to compete after they've they've figured out who's part of this team going forward. Then they then they start filling the gaps with like the the uh, McCanns that for Houston it was the McCanns and the the Reddicks and uh, guys like that. I don't necessarily disagree. I just worry about the aspect of being able to do what it takes to sign guys like a Lester, if you want to compare it. Maybe it's not like as you know a direct comparison to the Chicago Cubs, but um, the Cubs as an organization is a, has a little bit more clout than Toronto. And I think the same mm-hmm. thing can be Definitely. said about Houston, right? Um, I don't necessarily know that free agents would be eager to go to Toronto, even if it meant a hefty payday, right? And that's, again, not to shit on the city or the organization. It's just the facts of uh, professional sports. Like Toronto isn't an, an quote-unquote ideal destination for free agents. Um, uh, certainly the market is shifting where it's not favoring free agents as much as it used to. So like these big money contracts aren't nearly as prevalent as we're used to, especially like in like the 2010s, 11s, 12s, those types of uh, seasons, like money was just flying out to players. Um, I don't necessarily think that I have confidence that the the front office is, I don't want to say aware, but so much in tune to that notion that they're going to have to overspend because they haven't been in a situation where, at least that I know of, they haven't been in a situation where they were pursuing a free agent and the money just wasn't right because of Toronto. I don't know that it didn't happen, but it seems like everyone that they had their eye on because of these quote-unquote down years they were able to sign because they were, I don't want to say uh, barrel scraping here, but they weren't that coveted. I guess the biggest coveted asset that they got which was ended up being a failure you could argue could have been Kendris Morales and that's like besides Graycheck like the biggest contract they've extended um so I don't know I I don't know that I have confidence that when the time is right that they're going to be able to pull the trigger and really like open up the the wallet and say just name the price and we'll sign you because we're so determined to make that postseason run and bring a championship to Toronto I mean you're right there's definitely the the Toronto tax if you if you will sure um, having to pay the kind of the extra money. But I think if the number is right in terms of years and dollars and, um, and if the players can, the free agents can see that this team is heading in the right direction, I don't think it's going to be an issue. But also that this is why they're collecting all these assets, why they're collecting all these 
minor league players, why they, they're trading for, they, they keep signing these kind of bargain basement pitchers every year and then trading them at the deadline for, for more prospects, uh, which has kind of accelerated their, their kind of rebuild. Um, so they have all this prospect capital, so they can trade for another team's kind of expensive player who another team is trying to tank or for whatever reason, trying to get rid of payroll. They trade to that team, these, these prospects, and they, they get a guy in a trade. And, you know, they, they, they have no, I guess they have no right. choice in the matter once you, you trade for a guy. But, uh, so yeah, so I don't see, it's just a matter of kind of the right player coming up the right time. So there's, you know, kind of the stars have to, to align, but, uh, I don't see I don't see this being you know an issue. Okay, I I just I do think there are incremental steps that they have to take. It's starting in 2020 in order to uh, be on the correct path to yeah, that exactly. uh, postseason run, and I think a big portion of that would be like a nice middle of the order bat. Um, I don't want to say a top tier pitcher, but you definitely need uh, a front of the rotation. I'll say it doesn't necessarily have to be an ace. I would like it to be, but as you and I have discussed, I don't know that they're going to want to invest that much in the 2020 season, unless they consider like a Matt Shoemaker, their ace, quote unquote, their number one guy <laughs> for 2020. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, I hope not. Right. So but God. those are the guys they are going to bring back next year because just, just like this year where they, you know, they, they started getting rid of players because they were blocking their prospects. Like they mm-hmm. got rid of uh, what's his shortstop. Oh, um, they just uh, Sogard. Sogard oh, and, and, and also Galvis. Galvis, yeah, thanks. Yeah. So they they got rid of those guys because they were they were blocking their prospects. So it's the same thing. If you get like three kind of high caliber, you know, starting pitchers next year, you're gonna you're gonna block the Pearsons and the other guys. So. And then you're not going to really see what you have yet. So that's why you got to be patient and kind of figure out what you got before you can start going out and filling the holes. And another reason to keep kind of the payroll open and not kind of spend your wad next season on a, on a bunch of uh, high price players or, or any price players is to absorb other people to contract and trade. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not just free agent signings to keep your payroll open. It's to absorb large contracts. Do you think that they are under the same type of philosophy that Beeston was under um, in terms of the five-year, not exceeding a five-year deal? In other words, like you see that it's it's very uh, omnipresent in uh, around the major leagues. Like people, front offices are very reluctant to hand out like lengthy contracts because more often than not, they don't work out. So if there is a player, we're talking about the Toronto tax, quote unquote. If there's a player that the Blue Jays really want to go for. And this player X is like, all right, I'll go, but it's going to cost you like a six, seven year contract. Do you see them reluctant to make that move rightly or wrongly? This depends on the, the player and their, their age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems, it seems this, this, uh, current kind of major leagues, it's either a one year contract or 17 year contracts. They're handing right. out. <laughs> they got, got guys like, uh, in the, in the National League or on, the, on Philadelphia. Um, Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper. Mm-hmm. You can tell I have a thing with names. What's, what's my name again? <laughs> Ryan? Ryan? Yeah, okay. Uh, and you're Adam? Okay, great. That's, yes. Um, yeah, so Bryce Harper, what, was like 15 years or something? Like yeah. they're handing out either crazy contracts like that or the kind of one-year, two-year contracts. Like I said, it depends on the, the player. And, uh, you know, if they have to give... I mean, they, 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 you saw Anthopolis had to do that for like, even for like Martin, they had to throw in an extra year just to get him to sign here. Yep. I mean, that's a possibility of that happening again, but you know, I don't think this regime would do a Martin deal because you know, that fifth year he's going to be like 35 and, and pretty much done. So I can see them doing it for a younger player who they, you know, they have huge kind of scouting department and analytics and all that stuff they're going to determine who's going to kind of live you know live up to the contract and, and who's not i mean gritchick the gritchick thing kind of confused me but like it wasn't like he like it's that much money right and he may turn out to be like their fourth outfielder yeah but like you know he's not he's not going to kind of stand in their way of kind of uh kind of finding free agents or, or absorbing money through Two trades. I think the 
the evaluation when it came to Great Chuck was it was sort of sticker shock because it was so kind of out of nowhere when it came yeah, to it was... front office, right? And and not just the timing, but the amount and the tenure. Um, it was just uh, it, sort of uncharacteristic of this front office. But I don't know. I just think that we, we perceive the growth and the rebuild structure of this team and we look at it as like this linear path, right? We look at mm-hmm. it as, okay, as long as we have, like, you know, Lourdes up here, we have Cavan up here, we have Bo, we have Vlad, uh, Rowdy, if he's still around, we have both Reese and Danny, everything's good. We just got to figure out the outfield. If uh, Alfred plays, that's even better. Great. And now we have to figure out the pitching staff. Okay, as long as we get these holes filled, okay, we're good. Good to go. I'm not necessarily sure that I'm of that philosophy, right? I, I do think that intangibles are somewhat overlooked because they're not measurable and people don't like to, you know, sort of discuss them because it's not part of this analytic movement. But when it comes to like, how this team is functioning right now there this is the first time that a lot of them has experienced winning to i mean sorry losing to this degree right and and it's they're sort of bored at this time of year because they're not chasing a championship unlike previous years right they're not chasing a postseason run unlike previous years in the minors um i don't know what kind of effect that can have on a player i'd like to think that if anything it it, it could be minimal but it, it certainly isn't positive hopefully it's humbling to them i don't know i again these kids are so young i don't know how the mentality is of them and how they're going to perceive this but we need to understand that it's not going to just take what we have here, right? It's not going to just take the prospects that we have. There has to be gaps that are filled in that they're going to have to reach outside of the organization in order to successfully make that postseason run. And if it means giving up and trading away some other prospects in order to make that happen, I'm cool with that. But I also see how this front office, as you mentioned, like Gollum's Ring, they, they covet these guys like nothing, like Derek Fisher. They love this kid, and I have not seen anything to for me to prove that he's at all a mainstay in this organization moving forward. In fact, like I, I fear, if you listen to the previous episode, I fear that Anthony Alford's going to get the, the shit end of the stick because of Derek Fisher next spring training, and Alford's out of options. So I don't know how, that I'm necessarily confident that they're going to do the right thing and put a winning formula on the field over holding on to their guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I see that. And I think that's kind of the sentiment of a lot of fans, but I, I don't, I don't think, I think they'll, you know, if, if they have to, if they have to cut Fisher, I think they'll cut Fisher. And, and I think they will, because he obviously he's been given enough chances. I think kind of, he is who he is. I don't, I don't, maybe he'll get better, but I don't, see it happening. He just doesn't look comfortable in the outfield, obviously. Yeah. That was a great start to the, to his 10 years of BJ. <laughs> yeah. And like, he, yeah, you could see recently, even like he's just going back on balls. He, he yesterday, he, he amazing catch and then he great catch yeah. fell over and dropped it. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I don't like, like, uh, let's use a, uh, What's the guy? They, the other guy that they got for the Stroman deal, Anthony Kay Richardson, the other guy, the Wiz yep. Richardson. Yep. Like he's he's way way behind on this kind of their their plan of kind of having get the core up here and all. The, so I think I see him being like a huge trade piece. Like I don't think he, he'll like I'm like 99 percent sure he will never wear a Blue Jays uniform. Mm. Like when they when they're ready to like I said. Uh, earliest 2021 when they're ready to compete start getting guys like you said start getting the veterans start getting the number one number one or number two starters in here he's going to be a trade piece who you trade to get one of these guys in here so that's why they're they're stocking the, the farm system with guys like this so they can trade them when they have to just like they you know the astros traded for verlander at the, the 11th hour or the 12th hour hmm. um and and as for kind of losing, being bored, I mean, I, I guess if there's if there's guys who aren't competitive, even in you know, the worst times, maybe you don't you don't want them to be here. I mean, you can tell that Bichette, certainly Bichette has this competitive edge to him. There's no doubt. Um, but like, if you look, I went back to look at the Astros kind of while when they were in their hundred lost seasons, Altuve yeah. was there the entire time. Uh, uh, Keiko was there for most of the time. Springer came in at the end of the losing. Uh, but those guys were there. Altuve was there from the beginning of the 100 losses. And uh, I think he won an MVP. So 
and they won the World Series. So I think I think it's it's fine. They they understand they're they're living out their dream. They're they're uh, playing together with guys that they grew up playing with throughout the minors. They won before, um, and, and like you said, yeah, it may not be linear because there's there's things that come up all the time, injuries that could set you back. Uh, so who knows? Like maybe Bo takes regresses next year, which is a good chance because he's just been playing out of his mind. Oh yeah. As soon as he's been up here, like that just that's not sustainable. If it is, then he's the best player in the world. Um, so I mean, we'll have to see. And as far as the I know this goes back to the hundred loss season talk, but can we just take a step back for a second and then realize what these guys, what this front office has done? I know people like to shout at them, but like they've already got a like a nice core together. Still a lot, like I said, still a long way to go, but they got this core together without losing three hundred loss seasons like the Astros and the Cubs. And the Cubs may have had like four like really shitty seasons, you know. And they did this. They went from what 2017. I think they were like the oldest team in the league. Yeah. Now I think they're like the youngest team in the league, and in a matter of a couple of years, like how? That's impossible. Like how? How have they done this? Oh no, no. I I <laughs> think that they deserve a lot more credit that they that they've been you know getting. I think that the quick reaction and the knee jerk reaction, especially with fans that are attached to names like the Strowmans and the Sanchez's and the Donaldsons, you know, whether or not you felt like those guys should have been traded. Um, I certainly do think the time was right to do it. In fact, I think Donaldson should have been traded a year earlier, but that's a different discussion. Yep. Um, I think that their timing for trades are good, but just the return is a little suspect, right? And maybe that's just me blowing up these players in my mind and myself being attached to them because they're Blue Jays and not really taking a back seat and looking outside of that and evaluating objectively. Um, but I do think that when it comes to their evaluation of of talent and how they proceed in trade markets and free agencies, I'm not sure that it's it's enough for me to be like, okay, I have full faith that we're going to make a postseason run. I think they're really good at turning an organization around. I think they're really good at flipping the script and making a team younger and full of prospects that are promising. I think they're great at that. But when it comes to the major league side of it and how they're evaluating talent within the organization or within other organizations to come to the team to make them better, I'm not sure I'm sold enough that they they haven't given me enough evidence that they're there yet. Does that make sense? Yeah. You, I mean, there's... Is any front office perfect? No. no. I mean, they've they've made their mistakes. Like you said, the Donaldson thing. That's that's probably the huge, you know, the biggest sticking point for me in terms of kind of the worst thing they've done. Like 2017 was a disaster. 2018, they're already starting their their rebuild. So why keep them? It, it didn't make any sense. They're talking right. about competing in 2018, trying to, which doesn't make sense. Like even even if they wanted to compete in 2018, let's just say that even trading. Donaldson and getting all these prospects in here, like it's not gonna you can have the best player in the world, like the Angels do, and still not still not win. So like one play this is this is this is baseball, it's not the NBA. Like you can't have like LeBron James kind of drag a team to the playoffs and to the finals. One player does not make a difference to a team. So even even if they thought they could compete in 2018, which I don't know why they would. No. Just <laughs> At that time, if you looked around, New York was like New York was back being New York, Boston was back being Boston. There was there was the window was closed, it was shut closed, it was like sealed with cement, and and they, and they kept for some reason they, they kept them. I have no, I don't know. Okay, so like whatever, fine. And then Sanchez trade. Uh, very curious why they traded three guys for one. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was. Uh, I don't I don't want to get into that. <laughs> and and the Stroman trade, I thought the the only my issue with that wasn't the players that they got back, wasn't that they weren't in the top 100, whatever that means. That's just a ridiculous thing to focus on. It's arbitrary. Just top, yeah. It's like a matter of like opinion. Who's the top 100? People have different lists, and like there's there's like three or four lists out there, and who's right, who's wrong? It's different. You know, people are looking for different things, but. My issue with that was that they traded them too early. They didn't wait to the kind of towards the end where people got desperate. Other teams were like, "Oh shit, we need to we need to get a starter in here, or otherwise we're screwed." And I thought they didn't get enough players back for them. That was that was the thing. 
But other than those kind of three things, I think they've done, they've done, like I said before, they've, they've got these guys like the, I mean, I can't name some off the top of my head, but they, they keep getting these bargain basement guys every year and they trade them at the deadline for pieces. I mean, they got Waggis back that way, mm-hmm. right? They got, they got other, they got other guys that way. They're now, now on their roster and it could be pieces going forward. But so I think they're, they're good evaluators. They blew a couple trades or didn't trade someone at the right time. Um, and also like, I, I mean, I think their, their track record um, maybe is yet to be fully, I guess, fully proven, but I think, I have confidence that when, the, like I said, when the time comes, they'll be able, be able to make the trades that they have to. And like everyone, I know, like you said before, it was when they came in, they came in at, at like kind of the worst time, like anyone could come into this franchise. They, they finally make it to the playoffs after 22 years. Alex Anthopoulos is anointed king of the world because <laughs> he went all in on 2015 when he knew he was already done. Um, I mean, that's not, it's not fact, but like, if you think about it, like this new regime is coming in. He knew he was, he was kind of, he was done with the Blue Jays. For sure. So why not go all in in 2015? Why not? They were like, they were below 500 at that point. Like no sane GM, I think would have gone in like he did. Unless he knew he was, he was heading out the door. And any, any GM, any GM, even if Alex Santopoulos stuck around, he would be making the same moves. If you're smart, he'd be making the same moves that these guys are making. For sure. He just he just he just pieced out while these guys are kind of left to make the hard decisions, and they get they get crapped on because you know they're the the U.S. Uh, foreigners coming in and kicking out the Canadian Anthopolis. Not to say I don't I'm not trying to hate on Anthopolis. I liked what he did. Obviously, gave me something you know to look forward to for <laughs> 22 years of nothing. But like it's just you know just anyone coming in in this scenario would have kind of been crapped on like like this regime is this is the overtime podcast network so what you're saying is you're guaranteeing a post uh, a world series run in 2021 do i got that right <laughs> guarantee <laughs> uh, at, at the earliest that's when they, they started competing for the playoffs that's the earliest like next yeah. next season is kind of still figuring out figuring out shit seeing where the holes are and then yeah We'll see. All right. All right. Well, speaking of figuring out shit, let's uh, let's shift gears here. Let's talk about Bobuchet and the concussion that he suffered uh, last Thursday. It's important to note that we are recording this Wednesday evening. Um, there is a Baltimore Orioles versus Blue Jays game going on right now, but <laughs> it's the Orioles. Fuck them. Um, so anyways, Bobuchet <laughs> suffered a concussion last week. Um, he was able to quote unquote grind it out. And I use that phrase super loosely. Don't take that the wrong way. Concussions are a big deal. Um, he was able to grind it out for an inning until he was pulled and could be done for what's left of the season. I'm not sure if there's official word on it quite yet. I do know that he has yet to clear concussion protocol. So there's no really much sense in playing him for the remainder of the year, in my opinion. However, um, you noticed something uh, that I hadn't noticed that Justin Smoke sort of was tuned in to, to Bobochet and his mannerisms and his behavior. Um, what do you make of the situation? Do you think it's in Bo's best interest to be shut down for the remainder of the year? As you mentioned earlier, he is a grinder. He has that competitive edge to him. I'm sure he's trying to fight this tooth and nail, um, but we got to think of the longevity of a guy like Bobochet. So where do you stand on this and elaborate more on the Justin Smoke recognition aspect? Yeah, so he, I think he was in, Bichette was stuck stuck in or grinded out or whatever you want to say, he, for another about, I think, two innings. Mm. So I, re- I read somewhere that it was actually Smoke noticing that he was kind of a little bit off, a little bit kind of out of it, and it took Smoke kind of going up to him and convincing him to say something so he can, you know, get out of the game and, you know, recuperate. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like... Why is it smoke <laughs> the one who's right. kind of seeing this thing and not like uh like is Nikki Hoffman, I can't remember. Yes, yes. the trainer. Yeah. Something like, yeah, the trainer, yeah. Or anyone, any literally anyone, any of the coaches on the bench, you know, figuring this out. Like just there's only what, three three games left? After so for sure, three, yeah. Three, yeah. So for sure you should, they should shut him down for the rest. There's no the rest of the season, no point bringing him back. Um but it's just 
like begs the question, like, what the hell are we doing here? Like, this is 2019. We know what concussions can do and, and keeping him in for another two innings. And like, I'm sure they asked him, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, of course I'm okay. Send me back out there. Like, yeah, like you said, he's a, he's an ultimate competitor. He's like, like Kyle Lowry, you know, Kyle Lowry could have his, his head missing and he'll still be, yeah, I'm good to go. <laughs> like he was going to play for team USA with after surgery on his wrist. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he had like his wrist bound up and he's like, yeah, I'm good to go for us. <laughs> so like he, you, you have to, you have to tell this guy to sit down. He's not going to sit down on his own. So like, I just don't This is, and this seems to be a pattern with this team. Like last year coming out of the gates, we had, we had, um, Donaldson with, you know, no shoulder to speak of. <laughs> he could, he could barely make throws, you know, to the, to the mound, let alone first. Yeah. Game Remember one. That? Yeah. Game yeah, one. exactly. Yeah. So like, and then it was the same thing as Stroman. Stroman had a similar, it was a shoulder or some kind of neck issue to start last season. They're like, no, no, it's, I think, I don't think they even played much of spring training. They just kind of like played here and there, but basically they started the season with these shoulder issues, both of them. They're like, yeah, let's just go ahead and see what happens. Not let's shut them down, you know, make sure that they're healthy and then bring them back. So what ended up happening anyway, they had to shut them down. So they might as well just shut them down in the first place instead of just letting them go out there. And, and Sanchez, you know, the issues with Sanchez over the last couple of years with his blisters and his, his you know, shaving off his nail mm-hmm. and just like letting him pitch. Like there was that time where he hurt his finger on a suitcase. You remember that story? Yeah. And I'm not buying that one though. <laughs> yeah. I'm not buying. Yeah. I don't know who bought that. Yeah. I dropped a suitcase on my finger or whatever it was. It closed it on my Anyway, they whatever he did to his finger that day, they let him go out there and pitch. It was Anaheim, like his family was there, so I think it was like, yeah, I'm pitching. But you got to tell a guy, it's like you know, if he's if you see he's hurt, you got to just shut him down. Like what? It, like especially with Bo, like this is this is you know not just for his own, obviously his own health, first of all, and second of all, like this guy's part of your future. You don't want to do anything to to screw that up. Do you think, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned this because this was on my mind. I didn't really want to go there, but now that you've sort of opened the door, I, we can. Um, this might be diving headfirst into some bullshit here, but um, do you think this is a sign of bad management on behalf of Montoyo? Because I am not, like, save for how he manages the game, I know it's really hard to turn chicken shit into chicken salad with what little he's been given, right? He never had a rotation. He yeah. really didn't. He didn't. He, he had nothing to wor- really work with. And that's really no fault of his own. Um, he, he's plugging pieces in here and there. He's working with goddamn openers. I'm, I'm not a fan of this, especially with players that are just coming up and making their debuts. I'm just, I, I, I'm tired of it. Yeah, but. So- yeah, no idea why they do that. Yeah. It's frustrating. But do you think this is uh, a misstep on Montoyo's, um, you know, end of things as a manager? Do you think that this is the responsibility of a manager to be more in touch with this, or is do, are you more of the mindset of no, that's more of a trainer thing, as you mentioned, and it, you can't really put this on the shoulders of Montoyo? I think it's a it's an everything thing. Like someone someone has to notice. I guess. I mean, Montoyo has like 30 other decisions to make. So I don't want to put it all in him. Like he's, yeah, I mean, he can't focus on one single player during the game. Right. He's, he's, he's kind of has to think a couple steps ahead. Who, you know, which 12th picture do I want to bring into this game? Cause you know, the, the other 12, 11 have already been used mm-hmm. and like <laughs> kind of figure out, you know, do I want to pinch it or whatever? So he has other things on his mind, but there's other coaches there. There's the trainer, there's two trainers, the backup trainer or the assistant trainer. There's a thousand other people who could look at Bichette. You know, forget it. Like, even if even if he didn't wasn't showing any signs at all, he just got hit in the head. Just take him out. Right. Just take him out. This is, the season's over. They're not going. They're not going for anything. There's no playoffs. They're playing Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 it wasn't against Baltimore. I don't think which team was against. It was. Last was Thursday, Baltimore? I think it was no, it was Baltimore because was before, it Baltimore? I think after that they played the Yankees. Yeah, they played the Yankees over the weekend. So yes. So I think yeah. So come on, like what are we what are we doing here? Like he, we we've already kind of seen what what player he is, and they kind of, um, 
you know who you could be and they, and there, there's nothing there's nothing left on the line uh so just just be over cautious instead of under cautious it's not a word but i'm gonna make it up <laughs> no i mean like i i i agree and it is a word that's fine with me <laughs> i think under cautious i don't know that's... um not overly cautious but yeah, um, yeah i i just I think because they're in a position right now where the wins and losses don't matter and they've said as much since day one, there's no sense, right? This is, a, you know, I, I don't like comparing players in, you know, such absolute terms, but he made more of an impact upon his debut than Vladdy did. And we're all, you know, referencing Va- Vladdy as this big up-and-coming star, and he probably is, but Bo Bichette is really not that far behind in terms of importance and in the in- as an integral aspect to this team. So... Concussions can be long-lasting. The science behind it and how we're evaluating that is still sort of new in terms of a scientific approach. So I would like to be more cautious than not, as, you know, maybe we can phrase it that way. Um, I'd like to be more on the safe side and say, like, you know, Bo, like, I know you want to play these last five, six, whatever games are left. Um, Tough shit. Like, we need you more towards when we're making that Ryan Grossman predicted 2021 World Series run. So, like, you need to calm your jets right now and uh, we'll we'll sit you. I just think that, you know, all jokes aside, I think that the long-term health, especially when it comes to the brain, um, that is very important. It's really nothing to fuck around with. Yeah, exactly. Tough shit. Sit down. You know, watch the rest of the game. Have some popcorn. <laughs> yeah, that's you're done for the year. And and Guriel, similar thing with Guriel, who just had it. What's with the appendectomies? Come on. Yeah, I know. China's <laughs> seen enough of that, you know. So, but before that, he just he just came back from an injury, and you could see he was kind of just jogging out there. He wasn't fully healthy. He's playing left field, going around the bases, with like you know not 100. Mm-hmm. So like, what was the point of that? <laughs> like. Just let him heal. I'll see you next year. I'll see you in spring training. Like, you know, sit with Bo, get some popcorn, and just watch the rest of the season. There's, there's no point at this, at this point in the season to just throw a guy out there, have him kind of grind through his injuries because there's, there's nothing to play for. Right, right. And, you know, at this point, like, they did the same thing with Barucky earlier. I don't think he was ready at all. Um, even though he pitched well Clearly. for his yeah for his short tenure in AAA for a short time there, um, I don't think he was ready. I, and you know we're talking about a down year and admitted down year. Why bother? Like why try to ex- not try to, but uh, you know r- risk the exacerbation of this whole process and make the injury worse? I just don't understand it. So. In that regard, when it comes to these coveted assets that you have, you have to take care of them. And I don't, I'm not sure. I have to really think about it a little bit more. I'm not sure if that's a misstep so much on the front office side or, you know, in the team coaching side. I'm not sure. Maybe it's a combination of the two. But if a season is admittedly lost already and win losses don't matter, don't risk it. It's, it's just not worth it. Man, I don't, I don't watch other teams close enough to see what they do when, like, uh, a player kind of gets hurt. Do they, that like in a similar situation, they, they just throw them back out there and throw cautions to the wind. No, fuck no. Just a final I, thing, but no, no. I guarantee you, the Orioles don't do that shit. So I, I've seen it. Like I just named you a couple of things from from last year, but like this. I mean, I know it's new. You know, whole new training staff and all that stuff. But like, I remember back to like the Aaron Hill days. Mm-hmm. Like he he suffered a concussion, and then they the next that night they threw him on a plane to go wherever they had to go next. I think God, they, I don't think they did that with Bo because he wasn't with the team when they moved on to the next to New York. No. Um, so Aaron Hill, they like, oh, let's just put him on a plane. I'm sure, I'm sure the, the air pressure will be fine on his <laughs> concussed head. And, they, and then he ended up being like out for like another couple months after that. Yeah, yeah. Like, was that was that during Cito or Gibbons? <laughs> Can't remember. I think maybe Cito. Yeah, that would make sense. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think it was Cito's decision. He's just a, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just, let's just be cautious. It just doesn't make any sense. And like I said, the, with, with, uh, Donaldson and, and, uh, uh, Stroman to start last season. Yeah. They're trying to like, they were trying to play them to avoid them going on the DL. Well, they went on the DL anyway and ended up kind of being a lost season for, for Donaldson, especially. Yeah. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. <laughs> 
All right, let's keep it rolling here because the title of this episode is Vlad. Do you even lift, bro? Because this is uh, <laughs> this is a uh, a topic of conversation that seemed to have been a little bit overblown. Um, just a little bit of history. Vladdy recently mentioned something along the lines of not working out or lifting ever. I guess the quote was, and it sort of went off the rails in Toronto sports media. Uh, to his credit, he did sort of backtrack and explain it in more detail. Um, regardless, he seems determined to work on his body in order to be better suited for the everyday third base role. Do you see this as an uphill battle, and is he destined for first base, or do you think, no, he's going to put in the work, he knows what's at stake, his dad is a major league, or was a major league baseball player, he obviously knows the amount of hard work this takes. Where do you sit on this? Because for me, it I just feel like this whole thing was a bit overblown. It's, it's incredible what happens when there's nothing going on. Yes. <laughs> it's just, this becomes, why is this a thing? This became a thing. They had to hold a press conference. Like they mm-hmm. literally held a press conference yesterday to kind of go into detail of what, what he actually meant. Yep. Like you said, there was, I think there was some loss in translation happening where it was, no, in the off season in, in the Dominican, I don't, he says he doesn't work out then. He does alternate things like those those videos where you see him flipping tires mm-hmm. and like hitting it with a sledgehammer. But like, why, why, why is this a thing? Like it should, it, and in terms of like going forward, um, I'm actually writing something right now. It's, I think, I think I mentioned to you offline, um, about how he should, I think he should make the move the first slash DH, mm-hmm. but it's, it's not because, um, I don't think he can play third. I think he actually can play third. And the condition he's in right now, maybe he can be in a little bit better condition, but I don't I don't see his weight issue because from what I've seen to this point is he is his reflexes are fine. Like you see him making the dives. You, you see him running in on plays and making like the, the quick throws the first. And, you know, I don't know. Am I wrong in saying that? Like he, he seems to be pretty agile and, and uh, um, has you know has the range that you need for for a third baseman? No, he's sound. He's sound yeah, at third, and, but he's not like a world beater at third. No, of third. course not. But he's he's going to get better. This remember, this is his what fourth year at playing third. Like mm-hmm. when he when they signed him at sixteen, he was an outfielder. Outfielder, right? Yeah, yeah. And they asked him, "Hey, where do you want to play?" He's like third. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, he he still can get better. There's there's hundreds of cases of people who suck <laughs> their first couple of years like that guy on oakland marcus simeon mm-hmm. shortstop when he came into the league as like his first full season i think he was making like 30 40 errors and, and now i just looked him up this season he has like 12 errors mm-hmm. so it's it, you know it takes a lot of reps um i think he'll, he'll eventually be even above average third baseman but what my my issue is just the wear and tear that position puts on your body just that he like what if you think about what's what's his biggest value? What's his value to the team, and and value I guess to himself in terms of like making money? It's his, it's his back. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So let's move him to a, a position like first. I mean, not to say that first doesn't require any skill or doesn't require movement because it does, but he's not. It's not the same as third. It's not called the hot corner like third base is called. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's. Especially now, um, with shifts, he's he's playing he's basically playing shortstop. Every time they shift a lefty, where everyone's on the right side of the field, he's only he's he's playing short. Yeah. So it's not it's not just third base isn't just third base anymore. It's it's short. He's also on this you know artificial turf, which is hundred times better than it was you know five years ago, where it was basically just concrete yeah. <laughs> with with a little a little bit of a layer on top of concrete. But like, uh, you know, Donaldson, it may not be all contributed to the to the surface to the turf, but Donaldson was a picture of health before he got here, and then all of a sudden, last two seasons, hamstring, lower body issues. I think it takes a toll on you. So you do you want you don't want this guy like every time I see Guerrero, you know, kind of dash for a ball or come in on a bunch or whatever, I kind of cringe. Yeah. Like how many? He's only 20. He already had knee issues this year, right? He 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 had, he had to take a couple of games off for a week or whatever it was with some kind of knee soreness. He's only 20. You want him to be 
you know, 30 and still in his prime. So just kind of take the load off, go put him at first slash DH. And uh, then you'll, I think you'll be able to prolong his career. I agree. But the, this may not necessarily be an issue. Um, hurdles or roadblocks certainly haven't stopped the front office from doing what they wanted to do in terms of position players before. We mentioned Freddie Galvis and Eric Sogard sort of blocking the path to, for Mo Bichette. If we're going to transition Vladdy to first, that means we have to find something to do with Rowdy Tellez. And it wouldn't break my heart if they moved on from him. It really wouldn't. Like, I, I don't think he's an integral part of this organization. I really don't. But there's the other side of the coin that I mentioned earlier is like, how do we handle the 2020 season? How do we handle 2021? Um, we do still need a middle of the order bat, right? And I, and I think Vladdy would be much better served if he had a power hitter hitting behind him. Um, oh, yeah. And usually that comes as a power hitter. You're usually a first base DH type of player. Now I know that prototype isn't really typical nowadays in, in this, you know, the new MLB and how it's progressing. But, you know, stereotypically when you think of a big bodied at bat or someone that's successful with the home run and the long ball, rather um, it's a first base DH kind of guy. So if they're going to sign a guy like that, and from what I'm hearing, this is all speculation. I'm not going to really dive too much into it. I'm just saying pump your brakes with your Reese McGuire jerseys. That's all I'm going to say about it. Um, if they if they do make a signing, it's probably going to be a first base DH kind of guy, which means Vladdy's probably still going to remain at third base. That's just my prediction. Well, even if they get like a first base, unless it's an everyday, like you're you're everyday first baseman, you're there. Like they they can still split time with them. Like even Telez is a, is a lefty, mm -hmm. uh, and Vlad's a righty, so you can. I mean, you're not. I mean, it doesn't make. Actually, that won't make a difference because you're gonna. He's either gonna be. He's gonna be playing every day, Vlad, even if he plays first. Either be first or DH. Right. But like when he's not playing first and when he's DHing, then you can have the Tellez in there. I mean, like you, I don't, I don't, I'm not gonna cry if Tellez isn't on this team next year. I mean, I've I've already spoken about how you know players can get better, um, but I just don't see it with him. Yeah, he's a little one dimensional. Specifically, yeah, he. He just strike out waiting to happen. You can mm -hmm. just you just you just know he's gonna strike out and it's just like, uh, oh, there's Telez again striking out. <laughs> Great. He's, I haven't seen a guy make so many turns back to Dega in my life. Um but even if they even if they were to sign like smoke again for one year next year, I think that's actually a good idea. Keep his kind of veteran, you know, bat veteranness and um you know, play first to offset um Guerrero, so when he's when Guerrero's DHing, smoke and play first, and then vice versa. Um, and then I think they can focus on like it's all about kind of checking boxes. And uh, so if they if they make this move now like, preemptively, I know there's a lot of people say, oh, you know, let Vlad play third until he can't. Right. But by that time, it'll be too late. Like you you need to start making plans for the future. So you got to kind of check all the boxes. So if you check off the the first base box, we have our first base. DH is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Then let's start looking for a third baseman. You know, I think a third baseman, you know, just throwing a name out there, uh, Moustakis, mm -hmm. he's, he seems to be every year, he seems to be undervalued for some reason, even though he's an incredible hitter, consistent hitter, plays, I think he pretty much plays, you know, 150 games every year. And every year he's left with like no contract and like, they Milwaukee just kind of re-upped him this year again for like nothing, I think. Yeah, it was late. like he. Yeah, what was? Do you know what? Yeah, I don't know the numbers. Yeah. Yeah, but it was it wasn't that much. It was, and so you get a guy like that in here. He's he he can play third almost every day. In a pinch, you can play other positions like second and first. So I think you you can get a guy like that for for pretty cheap, and he's I think he could you know back up. Flat in terms of a, a power hitter, and also I, I haven't looked at his you know, numbers specifically this year, but I think he usually hits for a pretty good average. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it certainly worked out for guys like Miguel Cabrera when you think about the transition from third to first, and it didn't really take that much off of him. I mean, I mean we're seeing it now 
um, the the toll it can take on a guy that's you know that old. You know, maybe that was a, a serious toll on his body. I don't know, but I do think that I'm not trying to directly compare Vladimir Guerrero Jr. to Cabrera at all. But I, I do think <laughs> no, not at all. I do. I he may yeah. be the anomaly in that situation, but I don't know that it's it's necessary to make that move right away. Like I I don't know that. I wouldn't blame the front office or the coaching staff or what have you if they said one more year at third, we'll give it one more try, you know, with this new off-season workout regimen. If you're serious about cutting some weight a little bit, like maybe lose like 10, 15 pounds, that's cool. We'll, we'll see how it works out. If it doesn't work out and your body's feeling a toll, then we'll transition you to first base maybe for 2021 because your bat, as you already mentioned, is the most valuable thing that you could offer to this team right now. And we don't want to, you know, lose that for any uh, long stretch of time due to an injury at third base. I think that's probably the path that they're going to head down. Um, they'll give him the benefit of the doubt because he is such a prized asset. But again, I've been wrong before. So we'll, we'll just have to see how it unfolds. Here's another thing. Like I've heard this, yeah, continuing kind of the weight issue. I'm going to write this, my story. Mm-hmm. Um, like, how much how much weight do you think he can actually lose? Like this is like this is his body type. He's not like his his dad who's kind of real thin. This is who he is. Like this is his this is like maybe he can lose a couple pounds, but I don't see it being anything major. I think it's more kind of endurance than anything. Like he kind of you can kind of see he's kind of wearing down his first full season at the major leagues, almost full season at the major leagues. Yeah. So I think it's it's more of stamina and like endurance as opposed to, you know, getting in shape as opposed to hey, you know, lose twenty pounds. Right. And also consider, um, I know he's a pitcher, but CC Sabathia. Do you remember when he lost all that weight? Yeah. There's there's one year he came into camp and he was like, I don't know, thirty forty pounds lighter, and then he he stunk. Like it, it could mean there's other factors. Could be age. Could be arm issues. But like a lot of Cecil Bathia's power come, you know, comes from his lower half, from his legs. Same with Vladdy, like his power comes from his legs. You and his lower half. You start, you know, start fucking around with that. You might fuck with his power. Right. Yeah. And so like you got to be careful. <laughs> it's not like this is Pablo Sandoval, right? There's another no, comparison. Like that's the really. opposite end of the 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 spectrum, right? Compared to Melky Homer Cabrera. Simpson. Yeah, exactly. Busting on on the swing in Toronto too, nonetheless. In I, Toronto, I yeah, yeah. Um, they have to have five belts just ready. Yeah, I go ready for him. Um, I I don't think it's that dire. I don't think I I personally mm-hmm. don't think he needs like a health coach or a nutritionist. I know it's probably offered to all athletes as part of their quote unquote job is to remain in shape, but I do think there's some sense of autonomy that they give the players to be like it's kind of up to you to do this in the offseason. We're not going to hold your hand and make sure you're doing what we say you do. You're an adult, you have to do it on your own. Um so I don't know. I I don't think it's that big of an issue um, yet, as you as we've been discussing. I do think he's a capable third baseman as it stands right now. I do think in his future, whether near or far, he's going to be a first base DH kind of guy. Um, but- the, the problem with that is like like I said, you're you're checking off boxes. So let's say let's keep him at third for the next like two years, mm-hmm. three years. So they go out and they get a first baseman, maybe a first baseman DH, and they're like two years down the line, like oh fuck, he can't play third. Now mm. it's moving the. Oh no! Wait, we have a first baseman. Oh, yeah, shit. yeah. That's why I'm saying, do it now. Move in the first. Boom! You're done. Check box. Check checking that box. Get a third baseman. And you still have Brandon Drury. <laughs> yeah, I mean he can. He's capable. He can, like, yeah, he can play. He's he's a good glove. He can play third next year until they find someone. If it's not Mustakas or anyone else, they can. Drury can play third in the meantime. But uh, I just I think it's better to be. Do too early and too late. Yeah. Well, it's going to be uh, interesting to see how that unfolds, uh, what the offseason will bring for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and his uh, tenure at third base. But that's going to be after the next three games at home to close out the season against Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is fighting to hold on to that wild card spot. I think they are only a half game above Cleveland. So the Blue Jays have the um, capability to play spoiler this weekend and to make sure that Tampa Bay does not make it to the wild card if you're invested in that much. As I mentioned, there's three games this weekend. Let's close the show out by giving our predictions. Ryan, what's Sagi? How many, how many games are the Jays taking out of these three games? 
Well, you, like you said, you know, Tampa is Tampa is going to go full tilt. So mm-hmm. uh, I think it might be a sweep for Tampa. <laughs> I said the Jays would take one. Yeah, I can I can see him taking one. Um, but let's see where Tampa is right now. Yeah, Tampa right now is half game behind Oakland for top spot. So they have the second wild card right now. They're ahead of Cleveland by half a game. Yep. Yeah. So. Uh, I could see them, yeah. I think two out of Jays will win one of those games, yeah. I can see that happening. Well, if you're invested in that, the Blue Jays can play spoiler. I don't know that that's really super exciting, but hey, we have to grasp at something for the final three games. So Better than Orioles, is, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> 15, this will be... This will be game than Orioles. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? This it's For some reason, the Orioles are hitting home runs like crazy. That just pisses me off a little bit more. At least with Tampa Bay, they're sort of like, you know, this this underground, not underground, but underwhelming team that's like under the radar and people are like, oh yeah, Tampa Bay, I forgot all about them. They're always sneaky good. So whatever, if they if they end up sweeping the Jays or taking two out of three and they make it to the postseason, that's fun. I, I would like to see Oakland face them. I think they're very similar in their archetype. So I think that will be good postseason baseball and wildcard games are always fun and stressful, especially when it's your team that you're rooting for. But we'll have to wait until maybe 2021 to see the Blue Jays in a postseason run. But when it comes to the show, that's all we got. Uh, Ryan, it was a pleasure having you on for your first time here on the show. I'm glad we were able to do this. Um, you listen to the show, so you know the deal. This is your time to shine. Where people can find you on Twitter, where people can find you on, uh, your, sorry, where people can find your work. Go for it, man. The floor is yours. All right. So Twitter is my name. So at Ryan Grossman, it's Grossman with one S, uh, which is weird, I know. Um, <laughs> and also, uh, I have a website or a blog called Lace Sports. It's L A C E D sports.ca um it's easier to write than to say lace sports <laughs> i should have thought about that one <laughs> not very good alliteration there but um yeah that's where you can find my story which i'll have soon on vlad um and i wrote last week about like we just talked about with the openers for these young guys which makes no sense <laughs> uh, so you can look at that as well all the links to ryan's twitter his website will be in the description of this show you can also find the, the article that you referenced about the opener at southtothesix.com. It is hosted on there. Um, yeah, I, we got to do this again. I know I have you booked for a Raptor show, so we'll sort of flip the script come October. But uh, there is one Blue Jays episode remaining for the South of the Six podcast this season. That will happen on Monday evening. Uh, I appreciate all the Blue Jays fans that have listened throughout the season as hard as it has been, you know, in terms of wins and losses. But for those that have stuck with the show, I appreciate it. Um, If you like what you've heard, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever device you're listening to this on, leave a review. Uh, It helps us out a bunch. But until then, Ryan, thanks for hopping on, and uh, go Blue Jays, man. to the south of the six podcast don't forget to follow us on twitter and instagram at south of the six and to subscribe to our show we're on apple podcasts google podcasts stitcher spotify yeah we're everywhere while you're at it if you liked what you heard do us a solid and leave us five stars and a quick review we appreciate it thanks again go jays and raptors